The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Archaeology is often viewed as a fascinating, eclectic, and ultimately quaint pursuit. This program explores archaeology from the perspective of professionals who demonstrate that in the 21st century, archaeology and its sub-disciplines may hold the key, not only to our past, but to our present and future. Welcome to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology, with your host, Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. Spend the next hour exploring where we came from and where we're headed with a leading researcher and practitioner in the field. Now, here is Dr. Schuldenrein. This is Joe Schuldenrein with another episode of Indiana Jones Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology. Uh, one of the topics that we have not talked about extensively in the program, but one that is actually uh, quite intriguing to people who do archaeology and people who learn about archaeology is uh, the archaeology of islands. Islands being, obviously, as people know, areas that are surrounded by water. Um, There is a long history of island archaeology and a long discipline involved with it um, in terms of nature and ecology and human adjustment to those situations. Islands have traditionally been distinctive environmental zones and adaptive zones for the human condition. Um, One of the topics that we have not talked about uh, extensively is islands in urban environments and uh, in New York City which is where this show is based uh, there are a number of islands that are associated with particular associated with particular sets of activities they have long-standing histories many of them have been used in various points in time as serenitariums as particular areas for resettlement obviously Ellis Island for immigration uh, Liberty Island for uh, for its statuary and for its welcoming component to the uh, migrations of Europeans and other groups over the course of time. We're going to be talking about another very unique island in the uh, New York City area, which is called Heart Island. And our guest today is Melinda Hunt, who is uh, an interdisciplinary artist and founding director of the Heart Island Project. She has a master's of fine arts degree from the Yale School of Art and an MS in digital imaging and design at NYU. She began working on Heart Island with uh, photographer Joel Sternfeld in 1991, and she has, uh, they have together uh, published a book called Heart Island that was published in 1998. She has also produced a film about uh, Heart Island called Heart Island, an American Cemetery that was uh, released in 2008. And she has spoken and lectured extensively on Heart Island. Uh, Ms. Hunt, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. 
So let's begin at the beginning. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Heart Island, its history, and how you got involved in uh, the archaeology and the general um, elements of the emergence and evolution of Heart Island as a site and as a point of interest. Well, I became involved in Heart Island in the early 90s, which was um, the 100th anniversary of Jacob Reese's first photographs, which were published in his book called How the Other Half Lives. And I was interested in Heart Island as uh, an unchanged part of New York City, whereby the system of burials that began shortly after the American Civil War on Heart Island um, were, are almost exactly the same today as, as they were then. And uh, Heart Island is a very interesting island in New York City. It first came into public use during the American Civil War when it was uh, a place where segregated colored troops were trained uh, at the end of the Civil War, and then it became a kind of prisoner of war camp for Confederate soldiers captured. And after that, New York City purchased the island for the purpose of setting up a boys' workhouse uh, for older children from the House of Refuge that was on Randall's Island. And one of the jobs for incarcerated uh, adolescents was burying the dead. And that uh, job continues in almost exactly the same form today, whereby inmates from Rikers Island are bused on weekday mornings to perform mass burials on Heart Island. So that's an activity that's ongoing. Yes, it, it is still near the New York City burial facility. Well, we know, uh, for those of us who are in this area, um, uh, there's been a, a tremendous outcry recently about Rikers Island, which is a detention facility for uh, uh, people who are accused of crimes in New York City and uh, the protocols in that uh, facility and associated with people who are held there as, as in, in essentially as a holding station, um, the practices associated with that prison are coming under great scrutiny, especially under the present administration. Does that have, uh, ha have you felt any of the repercussions of that at Hart Island, just, just to make it more uh, up to date here? Oh, yes. The, um, the warden um, who was in charge of the adolescent union on Rikers Island that was part of the federal investigation, uh, he was the same warden in charge of the burials on Hart Island, and he resigned um, last November. So the, the adolescent unit, unit on Rikers Island is there because the adolescent unit on Hart Island closed in 1966. So it's essentially the same unit. And as I said, Hart Island was purchased for the purpose of setting up a boys' workhouse. So the, the inmates that perform the burials on Hart Island are um, young men convicted of misdemeanors. So they are, they're not a waiting sentence. They are sentenced and serving less than a year. Many of them could not come up with $1,000 bail, and that's why they're doing jail time. So there are also 
current reforms being requested so that young men don't serve jail time um, and sort of ruin their prospects of entering the workforce. Mm-hmm. As I understand it, the uh, percentage of adolescents on Rikers is not very high. I think I just, as a matter of fact, I just read a, an expose on it. I think it's only about 5%. So there aren't that many adolescents there. But uh, you're saying that most of them are actually convicted of misdemeanors. And uh, as they are there, they're, this is the type of work that they're doing? Well, the... Um what I, what I was saying is that the adolescent unit on Rikers had the oversight of the same warden that was in charge of the burial detail. I don't know if they're uh-huh. exactly the same inmates, I see. but the inmates that work on the burial detail on Hart Island are, are young men. Uh, whether or not they're adolescents, I don't know. Uh-huh. Uh, but that's been the history of, of Hart, Hart Island was was connected to Blackwell's Penitentiary, which was on Roosevelt Island. And Rikers Island opened in 1927, and Blackwell's closed, but Hart Island remained, you know, part of the system until 1966. And basically, the prison was shut down as a result of federal deinstitutionalization. Um, so that when that act passed, they lost their funding to keep Heart Island open. And after that, it became um, a drug treatment center. It was the beginning of Phoenix House, a nonprofit organization that uh, offered uh, drug treatment. But I've heard from many people who were at uh, Phoenix House that it was just like being in jail, and some of them weren't even drug addicts at the time. Right. So again, it's the sort of incarceration of of young people and uh, and requiring that they work. Now, from what you've told me, the island was first utilized on a larger scale, I guess, uh, during the Civil War. Correct? Yes, there were over three thousand uh, Confederate soldiers confined there. So it was, it was quite, there were two units, colored units that trained there, and then over 3,000 soldiers incarcerated there. So basically the city purchased the island because of the buildings that the Union Army had built um, during the Civil War. And so New York City purchased the island because it had those buildings and they wanted to move uh, older boys out of the house of refuge on Randall's Island and onto Hart Island, and they they set up a workhouse for teaching these young men useful trades, and one of those trades was burying the dead. Okay, so t- tell me a little bit before the Civil War. What do, have you been involved in any excavations? Was there any information known about the island uh, prior to that time? Was was it historically settled? Was it prehistorically settled? Any information on that? Well, it was privately owned by a family in Pelham called the Hunter family, uh-huh. and there there is some lore about uh, you know going over there, and their heart was was Middle English for deer, and there there's a story about uh, someone going over there in a canoe and killing the deer, and and it becoming a place that people went to for lunch and whatnot, but it was, it was really never settled. 
and and today as well, the correction officers tell me there's one deer running around on Heart Island <laughs> that right. uh, that they see periodically. So it's it's still it was it was set up as part of the rural cemetery movement, um, which came from England, and. There was a belief in the 19th century that urban burials created a health problem. And so all cemeteries in Manhattan were closed in 1851, except for the New York City marble cemeteries that have underground marble vaults, um, because they believed that, that burials caused disease. And of course, that's not true. Um, once you put a body in the ground, it decomposes, and it doesn't cause disease. As a matter of fact, there's a whole natural burial movement that um, works to, you know, um, bury people without embalming and without crypts and whatnot because it's much better for the environment if the body decomposes naturally and there's absolutely no health problems associated with it. So we're now trying to uh, introduce New York City to the concept that Heart Island is already more or less a green burial facility. And the problem with the burials on Heart Island has to do with the fact that they don't have any form of landscape remediation. They don't plant trees at the same time that they close up the graves. And so that creates an unstable uh, ecological environment on Heart Island. They also don't close the graves for months at a time uh, because the the process of these mass burials was associated with a time when there was a lot more infectious disease. So, for instance, in the 1918 flu epidemic, 22,000 people died in one year. So you had a need for these mass burials. But now um, we don't have as much infectious disease, and so there aren't as many burials on Heart Island, and these graves remain open for months. So that in itself is actually a health problem because they're not burying people um, quickly enough before the the bodies begin decomposing, and there's a lot of um, rainwater and stormwater that get into the graves before they're properly closed. And so that creates uh, soil erosion and also decomposing bodies, you know, can um, move out into the sound and it's not very good for swimming at Orchard Beach and things like that. So there's, there's a problem with how these burials are conducted um, using 19th century techniques that's no longer really appropriate for New York City in the 21st century. And we will be back with this very fascinating discussion on Heart Island, which is uh, one of the islands associated with New York City. And uh, we'll be back with our guest, um, Melinda Hunt, right after these words. Please stay tuned. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, and ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. 
Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. listening to Indiana Jones Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. To be a part of our discussion today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Indiana Jones Myth Reality at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. This is Joe Schuldenrein with another episode of Indiana Jones Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology. My guest today is Melinda Hunt, who is the um, founding director of the Heart Island Project. And uh, Heart Island, the Heart Island Project is a very unique operation, and the island has essentially functioned as a burial ground or cemetery since the Civil War. And we were talking during the break, and apparently Hart Island was a part of New York City before many of the outer boroughs were incorporated into the formal municipality. Uh, Melinda, why don't you tell us a little bit about um, what you are doing on this project and how your position and how your function and the various uh, publications and public presentations that you've done, how do they, uh, how do they interfigure, interfigure with the history of Hart Island and what's unique about, about the island and what you're doing with, uh, with your presentations? Well, I guess maybe the Hart Island project is archaeology through art. Um, because I, I started out just re-photographing, working with Joel Sternfeld, re-photographing Hart Island using the same kind of camera that Jacob Reese used, which was an 8x10 view camera. And so as a part of that process, um, we were on the island for quite some time because it takes a long time to set up uh, that kind of a camera. And so I got to noticing things. I got to really looking at the island. And out of that came um, an interest in 
working with some of the families who could not visit Heart Island as I was able to visit. And um, when my our book came out in 1998, these families started contacting me, and I began following a few of them who were trying to get access to Heart Island. Then, after the film was released, I worked with a Freedom of Information attorney to request 50,000 burial records through Freedom of Information, and we were able to get those records. So I started working with volunteers to create an online database of burials, and then we uh, worked to develop software to retain, collect the stories associated with these burials. So we set up what's called the Traveling Cloud Museum, which has these clocks of anonymity associated with the amount of time that someone is buried in anonymity until a, a visitor to the website adds a story. So you can stop someone's clock of anonymity by adding a story. And uh, so the Traveling Cloud Museum has profiles of people buried since 1980. And the reason it only goes back to 1980 is that there was a fire in 1977 that destroyed decades' worth of burial records that were stored on the island. And 1980 is is the beginning of the AIDS epidemic, which is the last big epidemic in New York City. So the, the Traveling Cloud Museum hosts burial records from 1980 up until the present or the last ones we entered were uh, February 15, 2015. So, so, so this, is, uh, this is a very, very uh, long-standing operation. I guess when you, when you mentioned in the beginning of, the, of this discussion that you just started, when you're talking about the families, I assume that most of the families are uh, kin associated with uh, folks who who perished during the AIDS, AIDS epidemic subsequent to 1980. I mean, that was the bulk of the context that you received. No, I receive. Uh, I mean, we're we our burial records start 1980. I have two ledger books of records 19, from August 1977 through 1980, but. The way that they're recorded, it's very difficult to know what date people were actually buried. And our database is set up so that the date of burial is, is how the whole database is organized because that's the one thing that the correction officers seem to get right in the burial records. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, there were lots and lots of mistakes in these burial records, but they seem to know what day it was when they actually performed the burial and recorded the... I see the names. So um, the the families that contact me are really, uh, each, each story is really quite different. There are lots of ways that people can disappear in New York City. And for most of these families, they were not properly informed that someone had died or they mm-hmm. were not properly informed about what it means to lay, let the city take care of it. Um, they're not told that these are mass burials performed by prison inmates and that they cannot visit. 
So all they're informed of is that your kin or your relative was buried in Heart Island on a certain day. They know nothing above and beyond that? They're not informed of, of anything. They are told very soon after the death that they need to make a decision about what's going to happen to the remains. And they are given two options in addition to hiring their own private funeral director. They can opt for a Catholic burial or they can opt for a city burial. And many families who are not Catholic will accept the city burial, but they're not told that it's Heart Island, they're not told that it's a mass grave, and they're not told that Heart Island is managed by the Department of Correction. Ah, and so your position, how is it How is it sponsored, how did it come into existence, and how did your particular career associated with, with the Heart Island Project interfinger with, uh, with the actual uh, position that you hold? Well, um, I'm a visual artist, so I was working to make Heart Island visible, or at least... As an artist, I was interested in a part of New York, which is sort of a media capital, how something that large could be invisible. So I was just interested in how it was possible to have a million people, uh, you know, disappeared like this and why people weren't properly informed. So with, with just... Asking those questions, I became in contact with many of the relatives. And in 2011, we formed a nonprofit so that I could effectively ad- advocate for these um, families. And at the same year, the city council began holding hearings about what was going on on Heart Island, the um, the Committee on Fire and Criminal Justice invited me to testify. And so at that point, I began sort of teaching the city council about New York's burial process. And uh, as a result of that, there have been two pieces of legislation that have passed and two pieces that will go to a public hearing this fall. So I sort of became an, an activist by... Um, by accident, um, just from being curious, I guess. So your your career path went from being a documentarian to actually uh, an activist and, and and an advocate. Right, and I think many documentary people do end up connected to their stories and sure. advocating on behalf of, of the people whose story they have told and feel some responsibility to telling the, for telling these stories so that the elected officials can offer some rem- remedies. So at, th- at this point, what really made a difference was creating this database because then people were getting accurate information about what had happened and requesting disinterments and filing lawsuits and doing things to rectify the situation using their individual rights. 
And so that's what this lawsuit filed. There's a class action lawsuit filed in December by the New York Civil Liberties Union, and that is the lawsuit that just reached a settlement on July 8th. And starting this Sunday, those families are going to be able to visit actual grave sites for the first time. So that that, uh, lawsuit has actually been settled and resolved at this point? It's been settled, but it hasn't had a hearing before a federal judge yet. So it's it's not all, you know, said and done. But the city and the New York Civil Liberties Union have settled and submitted a request for a hearing to a federal judge. So what is your responsibility right now on the island in terms of what kind of work you're doing there? Obviously, the lawsuit took up a tremendous amount of time. Uh, Where where are your activities going at this point? Well, on Sunday, I'm going to be accompanying a family to see if the Department of Correction actually does take them to the right spot. Uh Uh-huh. So, you know, I'm sort of a witness. And... um, and then, if they don't, I will testify before the federal judge that New York City is not actually taking all people to these grave sites. And if they are not taking them to the grave sites, then I think the city council needs to review the burial process and assign an appropriate city agency to manage visitation, and I also think they need to review this mass burial process, which leaves these graves open for so long and creates uh, an unstable ecology on on Hart Island, because I think that it's unnecessary for the public to not be able to visit graves. To, to use your prison system to keep people from visiting graves is a misuse of the prison system. Absolutely. And we'll be back with our very intriguing discussion with uh, Ms. Melinda Hunt, who is the director of the Heart Island Project in, uh, after these words. And in a few minutes, we'll be, we'll be back. Stay tuned. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. 
Discover our new world. Visit voiceamerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. Voiceamerica.tv. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. To be a part of our discussion today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to indianajonesmythreality at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. We are talking with uh, Melinda Hunt, who is the uh, founding director of the Heart Island Project. To this point, we've been discussing the fact that Heart Island, which is uh, an island environment uh, in New York City, uh, those of you who live or are familiar with the geography of the area, uh, should know that it is um, to the east of City Island and is part actually of the Bronx, one of the outer boroughs in New York City. And uh, our discussion has concentrated on the fact that this is probably one of the oldest long-standing continuous burial grounds since the 19th century and continues to be a burial ground to this day. Uh, in our discussion, uh, we... Uh, crossed into a very significant area of interdisciplinary archaeology, if you will, that that also has major uh, contemporary overtones. And that is specifically, uh, what is the human and the cultural ecology of a landscape, of an island landscape, that has been used for a single purpose, by and large, for close to 200 years, and that is uh, the use of Hart Island almost exclusively as a cemetery. And over the break, we were talking about the fact that Ms. Hunt is, is now bringing in landscape architects to um, essentially try to restabilize, if we can say it, the uh, ecology of that landscape and to uh, establish a series of uh, urban burial landscapes that are consistent with a green policy. Why don't you expand a little bit on that project and, and how it got started? Uh, well, um, let's see. With the uh, pending legislation and the settlement of the New York Civil Liberties Union lawsuit, the public will have a right to visit graves. So then that raises the question of whether or not it's safe for the public to visit graves. And in order for the public to be able to visit graves, we believe that there needs to be a landscape plan uh, developed for Hart Island that would stabilize the ecology and would allow for these burials to continue as part of a landscape plan that would allow for a sustainable ecosystem to exist on Hart Island. Right now, there's a tremendous amount of erosion that takes place because the graves are left open for for so long, 
and the graves flood and and the um, the topsoil washes away with big storms. So what needs to happen is we need to look at these these burials and work with landscape architects so that you can um, perhaps reduce the number of burials in a given area and plant trees that will survive in that environment, trees and shrubs, that will help to secure the soil. And natural burials essentially involve just putting the body in the ground either with a very simple uh, box that doesn't have any hardware and no embalming. And so that's already um, the way burials are conducted on Heart Island. So we think what needs to happen is you need to have a landscape plan for how to reforest the island and provide safe access for the public. And then you need to conduct the burials such that you're planting things over a period of time in the right places so that in 25 years you have a restored woodland and an accessible park. Right, but let, let's, let's go back to the mass graves. Um, uh, people have various image of mass graves, and, and obviously, unfortunately, over the past 20, 30 years, mass graves are uh, a big item and a big issue in both uh, the archaeology of war and, and certainly um, mass genocide issues. When you talk about um, mass graves in this context, are we talking about interments that are just one above another? Are there any caskets? I mean, what are we talking about in terms of the actual layout of these graves uh, at the present time? Okay, well, presently the graves are 70 feet long, 20 feet wide, and 6 feet deep. And the bodies are placed in these graves in two rows stacked three high. And there's, that's for adults, and there's 150 to 165 adults per grave. And, and then with, with infants, they're, they're stacked four or five rows high, and the boxes are different sizes, and there's 1,000 per grave. So it can take more than a year to fill up an infant grave, which is too long for for those bodies to be left out in the open, uh, you know, uh, while they're decomposing. So for the public to be able to visit, you need to close graves within a day or so of being buried. That's the way burials are conducted in cemeteries that are open to the public. Right. So what needs... What needs to happen is they need to map out all the burial sites on the island according to a landscape plan of where you want to plant trees. And when you put the bodies in the ground and you add soil, you put a tree on top of that. And then that tree will stabilize that piece of land in that area. And you can have groves of trees or stands of trees. You can still have a number of burials at one location, but you need to think about the the burials in terms of your landscape and and how that 
that area is going to become a self-sustaining ecosystem and and not just have this strip mine approach which is what right. they're doing where you dig a you dig a pit and you leave it open and you know everything's just out there in the elements for a long period of time they they do need to have a system that's orderly enough so that the medical examiner can call back bodies and so i think on heart island there there may need to be some structured burial vaults that would be for people who are unidentified or for people whose estates haven't been settled and the families might request the bodies back. And for those people, you don't want to have, have to dig up a tree to get them back, right? You, would right, like, right. you want for the trees to, to stay where they are. And, and so there needs to be an overall plan for the island that considers public access, that considers the ecology, and what would make for a stable ecology in that environment out in the Long Island Sound where there are a lot of storms coming through. And, and, and what, what makes for a culturally acceptable way to, to conduct uh, group burials. So the way you have it set up right now, or the way it's set up right now, I mean, the, uh, the dimensions of the mass graves are clear. You've, you've identified what those are. And then they keep adding bodies uh, as time goes along, those are exposed, and then a supplementary uh, body or set of bodies get added. And once they're all added, and once the grave uh, conforms to its formal capacity, then it's covered over. Yeah, then they just then they just bulldoze the the dirt back on top, back but they don't plant anything. Of, yeah, so they don't plant just, anything, so the whole right. island is left to naturally recede. But it doesn't do that fast enough, you know, before the next storm comes through or Hurricane Sandy or Hurricane Irene. So it's, it's not, it's not uh, an ecologically sound practice. And it also means that there's a lot of groundwater, you know, that the boxes collapse, right? And so then the ground is uneven and, and there's not very much dirt on top and there's nothing holding that dirt in place. So... It's it's not a very good way to conduct um, a, a this burial ground. This is absolutely ground. staggering. This is absolutely staggering because I mean anyone who knows anything about burials and cemeteries knows that the landscape has to be stabilized. I mean there has to be a vegetation mat at the very least, and obviously tree a tree cover would stabilize it further. But you're saying that for all these years, given the fact that the history of this island is exclusively a history of burials, nobody has done this. Well, yes, and, and the reason that the Department of Correction says that people can't visit is because it's unsafe. Right. And the reason it's unsafe was, is how they conduct the burials, which is, you know, was set up during a time of, you know, diphtheria and tuberculosis and a time when they needed mass burials. But for some reason, we haven't shifted out of the 19th century into the 21st century where we don't have a need for that particular way of of burying people but i mean even in the, in the areas where some of the most gruesome genocide is practiced um, these uh, more sophisticated burial practices have been in place you could argue of course one of the reasons <laughs> 
for that is because they don't want you to know where the bodies are buried, clearly, so that erosion could be a problem for a very gruesome issue, which is uh, obviously exposure. Um, but in this case, I mean, there doesn't seem to be any reason for that. It's just simply that they never went ahead and did that, right? They never just thought this thing through, and uh, they simply didn't pay it enough attention and probably didn't devote enough resources to doing that. Is that pretty, a pretty accurate assessment of it? Well, yes. I mean, nobody knew who was buried where until we got right. these burial records. So it was putting these online and, and families showing up to request these bodies back in a sense that changed the system. Um, but, yeah, you know, it's until we were testifying before the city council, the city council really didn't understand that there were these mass burials conducted by prison inmates and that no one could visit and it was you know, kind of really a terrible place. And right. so they're, they're sort of stuck with uh, not really wanting to talk about it because, it's, you know, it's just not an, an acceptable thing to have going on in New York City. But if you don't talk about it, you can't fix it. And Absolutely. And, and speaking of talking about it, we will be back with our last segment with this very fascinating discussion on the mass graves and the burials at Heart Island with uh, Melinda Hunt, uh, who is the director of the Heart Island Project. And we'll be back after these words. Stay tuned. the experts call toll free right now 1-866-472-5787 Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your question that's 1-866-472-5787 thank you for calling voiceamerica.com Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. News, opinion, your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787, 1-866-472-5787, voiceamerica.com. listening to Indiana Jones Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. To be a part of our discussion today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Reality at gmail.com. 
Now, back to the program. We're having a very fascinating discussion with Melinda Hart, who is the founding director of the Hart Island Project. Hart Island, as we have been discussing, is perhaps one of the longest standing cemeteries in an island setting, um, possibly even in the world. And if nothing else, it has been a laboratory for understanding the ecology and uh, the cultural aspects of mass burials and mass graves. And We've been talking about how the actual technology and techniques of graves and burials and interments have really not changed with the times. And that Hart Island, because of the number of burials there and the uh, the isolated uh, nature of its setting, could be an absolutely exquisite laboratory, if you will, for contemporary uh, burial practices in the age of sustainability in which we find, our, find ourselves today, and that the ecology is both a stabilizing, uh, a, an e- imaginative and even dignified, if you will, um, ecolo- a series of practices that will inter people and assure that they were, their remains will not be eroded because of neglect is a practice that is both appropriate environmentally and also provides a measure of dignity to those who are buried. Why don't you uh, expound a little bit, Melinda, about green burials and what you see going forward for Heart Island uh, as a result of the work that you have invested in it? Okay, so I just wanted to uh, clarify one thing, and that is there's a misconception that people buried on Heart Island are people that had no friends and nobody cared about them. But in fact, many people who donate their bodies to medicine, um, the families do not necessarily ask for the remains back. And those people are all buried on Heart Island if they donated their bodies to, say, a medical school in New York City. So my feeling is that those people made a gift to society and that many of the same people would be interested in their remains um, being uh, buried ecologically and that they would give a second gift to society in allowing their remains to become part of an urban woodland. So my feeling is that if the city were to uh, assume uh, a, a green burial conservancy on on Heart Island, that more people would, in fact, give their bodies to medicine and give their bodies to the environment and would want to be buried in an urban park like that. So there is a a dignity to uh, donating your body to conservation and allowing your remains uh, to provide nutrients to the earth and to um, provide some stewardship to future generations on um, how how to uh, conduct green burials that are good for the environment. There's a belief in the culture that cremation is saves green space, but in fact, uh, cremation uses quite a lot of energy and then the cremains are sterile and they don't provide nutrients to the earth. So uh, just a natural burial is actually the best option if you're interested in um, saving green space. And uh, going forward, how have your efforts uh, been received 
and do you feel personally and professionally that you're making headway in developing this, uh, what's obviously a very ambitious uh, project that is attempting to stabilize a landscape to provide the, those interred, interred with a certain amount of dignity and ultimately to uh, act in a very, very environmentally and humanly responsible way. Are we making progress here? What are, what are, your, what are the upcoming battles and hurdles that you have uh, in front of you before this will become a, a reality? Well, the biggest problem for us is is confronting the stigma of Heart Island, that people think it's a horrible place and they would never want to visit. And my feeling is that when you begin to uh, remediate the, turn it into a park and show people that these natural burials can be conducted safely and that it really can be a nice place, then people will accept that it, it's not a dark place anymore. But you have to begin that process. So what we're doing is now meeting with the city, city council and meeting with the parks commissioners, trying to get the parks department to accept that they are going to get this job. Whether or not they dig the holes, they need to supervise where they go. They need to supervise what is planted. And it may be that the prison system still inters these bodies, but it's not the prison system deciding how to manage the landscape. And are you feeling that your efforts are paying off? Does it look like the city council is viewing this favorably? Uh, obviously, when you do anything in this city, it, it requires a tremendous amount of red tape and a bureaucratic leapfrogging. Um, are you making progress in that regard? Well, we have um, a pretty strong community supporting us at this point, and those people write letters and I think they will show up for a hearing. And so the, the city can really no longer ignore Hard Island. They can't really turn away because they need to provide access to these graves now. And if the Department of Correction claims they're unsafe and they can't provide access, then the city actually does have to find a, a better way. So we're just hoping that we can work together with the city and, and guide the discussion uh, toward what I think New York City would be proud of, which is to have the first uh, urban green cemetery in the United States. What about uh, in this regard? And you know, it's obviously something that you must have thought of. And and we in, we're involved personally uh, on a corporate level because we do this type of work. Uh, have you uh, gotten any feedback from uh, Landmarks Preservation Commission in New York City? Yeah, they've rejected all the buildings. Um, don't return phone calls. Nobody wants to talk about this. And so you, you get to a point where the only way you can get a discussion about this is, is through legal mechanisms, which isn't the best way, but, you know, it, whatever works. <laughs> you know, you use all the tools that you've got. I think that, that people will come around if we, if we can arrive at a landscape plan and the parks will accept the fact that, that human bodies actually do belong in city parks. And it would help the parks department if the community was more engaged. And if, if you felt that 
you could donate your body to medicine and end up buried in a city park. That connects not only you to New York City forever, but it connects sure. all of your family and friends to that park. And that's a way to create community support for the parks. And it's also a, a source of funding for the parks because the city spends money on these burials because right. they have to bury people. Right, right. Very positive uh, outcome if it works. And uh, are you pretty hopeful that it's, it's ultimately going to get resolved that way? I do because I, I don't see another way out of it. You know, I'm sort of I'm giving I'm giving you know the city council a lifeline, right? Of, right, of course. Yeah. Here's the way to do it, and I'm telling you, everybody's going to want to have a green burial after this, and all of the parks people are going to be asking to be buried in, in Central Park, and they're going to be paying for it. If, uh, you know, it, they're going to be fighting over who gets buried where all over the parks and municipal areas. So maybe I'm opening another can of worms, but I think, you know, we have an aging population and we don't have enough burial space and right. cremation isn't green. So we need to solve this problem. And on that note, I'm afraid we're going to have to end our discussion. I want to thank uh, my special guest, Melinda Hunt, the uh, founding director of the Heart Island Project and a, an interdisciplinary artist and obviously a uh, very staunch advocate for green cemeteries and green approaches to interment, which I think is a plan that is very consistent with uh, where we're going in this uh, 21st century uh, in the age of sustainability. Thank you so much for being part of our program. Oh, thank you for having me. And until next time, we will uh, bid you good evening and stay tuned next week for another episode of Indiana Jones Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology. Thanks again for tuning in to Indiana Jones Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. Please join us for another unique journey into the past next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. In the meantime, think about the past with an eye towards the future and a better tomorrow. Tomorrow.